I don't know of a person who doesn't want to see great things happen in their personal and professional life, but that doesn't always come easy. Hi, this is Steve Hansen with the Working Parents Wilderness Podcast. Today we have a great opportunity to take an adventure and hike a summit with Mark Pattison, former NFL football star, founder of many multi-million dollar companies, philanthropist who worked in Tanzania to build wells for the communities in that area, and first NFL football player to climb all seven summits, six down, one to go, Everest happening in April of this year. But life wasn't always easy for Mark. Mark went through a challenging divorce, and at the age of eight, his daughter was diagnosed with epilepsy. Today we're gonna join Mark's expedition, and we're gonna learn what he did when things got tough, when things got challenging, and how he put his mind in the good spot so that he could move forward and accomplish amazing dreams, even when life threw him curveballs. With that said, let's welcome Mark to the show. Mark, are you still planning on hitting Everest in April, correct? I actually uh, leave March 30th. Oh my goodness. Base camp uh, March 30th, huh? Yeah, well, actually I land, I, I fly into Kathmandu. So I leave the States uh, March 30th, land in Kathmandu on April 2nd, and then the journey begins. For those that aren't aware, how, how long of a, a training period is that to do Everest? And then how long are you actually there um, in Nepal, in the Himalayas, uh, going for the summit? Well, that's really a bigger question. I think like anything in life, you know, it's preparation meets opportunity. And I've really been training all my life. And so I'm now 58 years old. It seems weird to say that number, but that's where I sit. And, um, you know, when I got done playing in the NFL many years ago, uh, many guys, they've been going at it for such a long, hard time. Um, they put the brakes on it. They just don't feel like going to the gym. And, and, and they've, they've gone at such a high level for such a long time that they're just burned out. And, you know, when I got done playing, I just never stopped. And, um, you know, I, I, I self-described gym rat um, growing up. And so it just, you know, I've continued to kind of transition out of football, obviously, and then do kind of the day-to-day wreck stuff. And then that transition into the mountains. And so, uh, as it relates to Mount Everest, I'll be up on the mountain for uh, over two months. It's certainly as much as a, uh, a mental test as, as it is a physical test. And those people that don't prepare usually don't have great results. So I've been training like a crazy man for the last uh, year since I got back from Antarctica uh, back in January of 2019. And uh, moving here to Sun Valley, Idaho, I live at 6,000 feet, run up and down the mountain every night, it really helps me you know, stay the course and stay in shape and make sure I'm acclimatized the way I need to be when I hit uh, uh, that great mountain in, in Nepal. Now tell us this, out of the different summits that you've done so far, what is the one that's been the most memorable and really why, why did it connect with you or why did you connect with the mountain? Uh, that's another great question. You know, I probably had my, my most enjoyable trip down in Argentina on a mountain called uh, Aconcagua. It's about 23,000 feet. So I'd never been to that, that height um, before. Uh, we started off with tw- 12 people in our climbing group, only six made it, uh, flying people out left and right and rescue helicopters. But for me, being amongst the, the people of Argentina, uh, Argentina, um, being in the, um, the Andes mountains, it was just beautiful. And, you know, I had a great experience kind of up and down. It was hard. It was long. It was grinding, but just the whole, um, the culture, it was fun and really enjoyed it. Probably the one I've, I've least enjoyed and the hardest by far was up in Denali, up in Alaska, 
that sits about 22,000 feet and it's just brutal, you know, in every way it's cold and it's hard and you have to navigate through a lot of crevasses and avalanches come down on your left and right. And, um, and I actually had to do it twice. Uh, the first year was in 2017 and I had, um, got up to about 14,000 feet and we were stuck in minus 40 degree weather and the top is about minus 80. And so, uh, rather than risk our, our fingers and toes, we decided to pack it in go back, which meant I had to come back again and go through all that same training. You have to carry 137 pounds each going up that mountain. Very, very challenging to say the least, but I was finally able to do that in 2018 and tag the top. And so it's one of those mountains where I'm so happy to have, you know, tagged it and never want to go back. <laughs> so I've heard it's brutal. I've never had the privilege of the curse of uh, climbing it, but I recently finished the book, Iger dreams and, yeah. uh, amazing book about different summits around the world. And when they talk about Denali being one of the most challenging ones, especially on, you know, this side of the, the world, you know what I mean? Away from the Himalayas. So. Yeah. Well, what it is, it's, you know, first of all, Denali national park is, is larger in size, just the park, not the state, the park is larger than the entire state of Massachusetts. So it's just this mammoth, you know, resource, glacier area everywhere and then you where it sits on the uh, on the globe and you know certainly within the united states you've got all this really cold wind coming out the Bering sea which separates us and, and russia and it just can get brutally cold up there and just super harsh and so you have to really be prepared for for anything and pretty much it all you know is thrown at you from the harshness to, you know, again, the crevasses and the snow and the avalanches. And, you know, I've been up there when it's, you know, like in four hours, it snowed two feet. I mean, just massive amounts of, of snow coming down and just, you know, hunkering in and trying to stay warm when you're sleeping on the ice and you're up there for three weeks. And so, again, it's another one of those things. It's a, it's a test of, of, of time and patience and, and courage and just, you know, if, like strapping it on and, and hoping for the best and, and really praying that the weather's going to turn for you because it's just so weather dependent up there. Wow. No. And let me ask you this. So you, you've got your team that's helping you to work towards summits, but you also have a family. Is that right? I do. Yeah. Okay. T maybe tell us a little bit about your family and the personal side of life, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, I, uh, I, um, went to the University of Washington, grew up in Seattle, and that's where a lot of my mount, mountaineering affection comes for and, and, and from. And um, I met my, unfortunately, now my ex-wife up in, in Seattle. We got married and, you know, we were together for 30 years, married for 24, and we had two beautiful girls. We have two beautiful girls. They're both, well, one's in, in college at the University of Arizona, Amelia, and she's 21. The other one is 23. She graduated from USC. Claudette and um, about 10 years ago started going through a, a rough time and you know I was fully committed to to the marriage but my now ex didn't want to be married to me anymore and and, and there's always two sides to every story so I don't want to just paint it in, in one direction but the bottom line is it's hard to be with somebody when they don't want to be with you and and so after going through a, you know really kind of tough period and trying to figure out like how was I going to merge out of this and what to do and really felt stuck for a number of years. I finally just got sick and tired of, of being in that stuck place and wanted to like leap forward in some direction. And so I stopped asking myself, how did I get here? And I redirected that question to what am I going to do about it? And it was really at that point where I got this surge of energy for me to 
to put out a big goal uh, for me to get excited about something again and to to not only emerge um, in my life and going you know taking a big step out um, which is you know takes a lot of courage to do for anybody just because of you know you're around your kids every day and what that's going to mean and all these family dynamics but also give me something I can look forward to. And that's how I really got into climbing these mountains. So it wasn't just out of the blue. I probably would have never started climbing hadn't, if I hadn't been going through these tough times, if I hadn't been, you know, going through the, the, the daily grind of like, how am I going to make this thing work? And so, um, so, you know, I started going around the world and climbing these different mountains. And the one thing that's been really amazing out of it is I think, it's shown my girls that, you know, number one, even though it was a tough situation, that we're still together. We love each other more than anything. It takes real commitment. I think they're super proud because there's, there's a lot of my, um, a lot of my uh, friends who now are getting to this age where they, you know, they're going out to the, to the desert and they're golfing and drinking and things like that. And I've kind of taken a, def- I've kind of taken a different route so, so that's, you know, kind of where it sits, you know, it's just, you know, I think they're super proud of me for really going after my dreams and goals. And it's helped me really emerge from this tough place I was in for a while. Let me ask you a question. And I want to come back to that. You also, do you do some work with Sports Illustrated as well? Well, I'm an executive of Sports Illustrated. So I've, I was part of a, um, a startup um, that we, a company that we started, uh, gosh, three years ago. And and uh, there was an opportunity to buy Sports Illustrated about six months ago. And so we entered the, the race and, and uh, bid and somehow or another we came on top. And, and now we sit in a great position of we actually run uh, the company. Another company actually called Authentic Brands Group um, won the bid and, and we turned around and then did a license deal with them. So we control and, and run all of Sports Illustrated for the next hundred years. Wow. That's awesome. And it seems like you have a number of things in your life that have happened in the last few years. So it seems like you were in a kind of a, let's say a down spot, not everything going your way. How did you change your mindset to really focus on, you know, a different trajectory? And what was that? Because I know a lot of people that are out there working parents or individuals with families, they got a ton going on with their career. They're trying to figure out how do I, you know, make ends meet or how do I get the next promotion? But how do I also take care of my family and, and kind of make my mark on the world? How did, how did you figure that out at a kind of a low spot in your life? Well, I think it's just, you know, a lot of the things that you just said, it's just the opposite. So, uh, you know, and, and the way you just framed it up is kind of typically the exercise that most people go through, which is you start playing the fear game. And you start thinking, you know, if I, if I do this, if I do that, what happens and what if and what, you know, and you just can't do that. And, and I think one of the things that the mountains has given me is the sense of clarity and clarity to go forward in my life and clarity to know that I can overcome anything and the clarity to take on challenges that I never thought were possible. And so if there's a will, there's a way. And, and that's the whole key. And then creating the structure around it to make sure those things happen. And for me, um, uh, again, I think, you know, the biggest thing that the fearful thing that, that I was going into as it relates to my family was just like, okay, we're going to come from a broken family. I, I, I made a commitment, you know, for my entire life that I'd never leave, that I'd always be there through thick and thin. And then all of a sudden I'm, I'm, I'm on the other side of that. Like, like, how do you get through this when you've made that commitment? And that was the hard thing for me to come to, to kind of my reality of like, what was my life going to be like going forward in this new dynamic? 
And again, I, I, you know, I went down, I committed to climbing these mountains first. That helped me give, give clarity. And through that clarity, it gave me strength. And through that strength, then it was the right move, I think, for everybody, for us to go in separate directions. And if anything, I've now come closer to both my daughters, which has been just, you know, miraculous. Oh, that's great. And when you think of that time of life and everything going on, sometimes in the moment, it's, you know, hard to see what were the tangible concrete steps that you took. What were some of the things looking back hindsight's 2020 that you said, this was a pivotal moment, or this was a pivotal step that took you from, if you will, that fear to embracing it, to realizing, Hey, I can do amazing things. I want to have something exciting in my life. Well, gosh, that, it's a, that's a big question. You know, I've lived in Seattle for all my, my, my life pretty much. And, and, you know, we had a pretty great life up there. And then my, my now ex wanted to move down to California in Santa Monica. And I found myself not surrounded with any of my peer groups. I didn't know any of the, 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 the other parents that my kids went to. I didn't know who their friends were. I mean, everything changed. I used to be the coach of everything. That changed, right? I was the coach of nothing. And so that whole community essentially was lost. And kind of that, that pivotal moment for me was I, I, my, my, the first mountain I, I decided to go take on was a mountain down in, in Tanzania, in Africa, called Mount Kilimanjaro. It's actually the highest point from the, from the bottom to the top of any mountain. It's 19,333 feet. And I went down there, I climbed, and I remember on summer day as I was trying to get to the top, and I got into it. I don't know, it was probably at 18,000 feet or so. <clears throat> and I just completely ran out of gas. I had nothing more to give. And I sat down and I was really fatigued. And, and all I wanted to do was roll up and, and, and sleep. And so this, this uh, porter guy, you know, started shoving these protein bars down my mouth and slapping me around a little bit and pushing me. And it got me back up and got me fired fired up and I did make it to the top. And, and, and as I was coming down, you know, it was just this moment where, I hadn't cried in about 20 years and just all these uncontrollable tears came pouring out of my face and down onto the, onto the dirt. And it was really, you know, tears of happiness. And, and it was this whole thing where I've been holding back for so many years. And I really felt at that moment because it was such a big goal for me to go down and climb something. I'd never been to 19,000 feet and to go into a foreign country by myself and, and, you know, face all these little fears that I never thought I could, that I never thought I could do. And then to accomplish it and come down, it just gave me that sense of accomplishment and that I could do anything I put my mind to do. And that really gave me the strength to go forward in my life and take on these things like, okay, I'm going to do this and be much more decisive. There's nothing worse, at least for me, than being stuck and treading water. And that really helped me propel myself in a forward direction. Thanks for sharing that story. I think that we all find ourselves in situations where we feel stuck, where we feel like, what's next? And Kilimanjaro is a very big goal to overcome, but I think it's the daily things that we do that can really help people to get to their Kilimanjaro or their Everest. So thank you for sharing that. Now, let me ask you a quick question, kind of switching gears a little bit to your daughters. Amelia, she, um, she just had an event or you helped to put on an event for her recently um, up yep. in Sun Valley, Idaho. Does that, can you tell us a little bit about that and a little bit of the background? Yeah, no, no, I, you know, so kind of um, connecting the last comment onto this, this new question and comment, you know, one of the things that, that I never thought possible too is all the different blessings that have come my way as a result of going through this really hard time. And I've been involved in a couple different fundraising projects. I was um, 
because of my exposure from having played in the NFL, which ironically has become uh, relevant again from the standpoint of the NFL one broadcast my journey. It's a positive story that's out there about a former NFL guy uh, doing something positive uh, for himself and, and in the community. But uh, I was asked to go along with a project called Water Boys, which Chris Long, who is the 2019 man of the year in the NFL, son of Howie Long, formed this group to bring awareness and money to the people of the Maasai tribe down in Tanzania and then also go and climb uh, Mount Kilimanjaro. So uh, myself and Jim Mora uh, raised about $47,000 and we, we, we built our own well. We, we visited these different people and it was amazing. And that really kind of got me on the path of how can I help others? And for the last about 14 years, my daughter Amelia has had epilepsy. And so it's been a huge challenge um, from, for her, you know, mainly, but for my ex and myself to help her navigate through school and sports and other things, not being able to drive, play on the monkey bars, ride a, ride a bike and, and things like that, you know, have been a heck of a challenge. And, you know, her friends and things like that who don't quite understand because she has these, these daily seizures. And so she's now 21. And, you know, I asked myself when things were getting really critical last, uh, last spring quarter or last spring semester down in the University of Arizona, you know, what can I do to help her? So I reached out to the National Epilepsy Foundation and asked if, you know, we could work together. And so I've, I've got this new project called Amelia's Everest. And the goal is to raise $29,029, which is the height of Mount Everest. And so another blessing is I've started a podcast called Finding Your Summit and all about people overcoming adversity and finding their way, which has given me this great access to, to others. And so on this particular night, I was able to get about 350 people inside a church here in, in Sun Valley. And my guests that I had up on stage with me were Peter Cetera, the former frontman of, of Chicago, Jim Mora, former head NFL coach, uh, uh, climbing guide. Peter Whitaker, a, a riding legend here in, in the Sun Valley area. She's a seven-time world champion, Rebecca Rush, and an NFL quarterback named Tom Flick. And so the five of, of those guests, my guest, came and presented, and we raised about $23,000 in that one particular night. So we're getting closer to uh, that goal of reaching her summit, but it's been really amazing, not only for raising money for her, but just to see the empowerment of my daughter and seeing her stand up a little taller with her shoulders back on the things that she's able to do by, by standing up and being brave and sharing with every, everybody that she's got, you know, this disease, which she has not been proud of, but, you know, through the community coming together and holding hands to create something, you know, phenomenal, hopefully for her one day she can be cured. Thank you for sharing that story. I just sit here and I get chills. I have uh, three daughters myself you know, the majority, the, you know, let's say 99.9% .9 of parents love and care for their kids and want the best for them. When you found out um, that your daughter was going to and was, you know, suffering with uh, epilepsy, how did, you, how did you deal with that? How did you manage those emotions? And what were your first steps to kind of moving forward versus hunkering down? Well, I, I was, she was eight years old, and this is when we were all together, and I was in, um, I'd taken the family to Europe, and I think we were in Spain or someplace, and, you know, I was, I kept talking to her, and she was ignoring me, and, and so I couldn't figure it out, and I was getting frustrated, and then finally, I was just like, you know, I think something's wrong here, and so I mentioned something to her mom, and, and so when we got back to the States, we, we took her down to the doctor, and, you know, the first thing that they always think about is, is there a tumor? 
right? And so that's the first thing. And it was scary because you've got this little little body going into one of those C-scan machines, you know, with her head. And she had to go in there for 30 minutes and come out. And, and I mean, that was that was really scary. And then like anything, you know, just more information starts trickling out. And the type of seizure she, she has is called petite malls, which are just these mini five to 10 second episodes where she kind of blanks out and she kind of comes back in. And so, you know, school and some other things have been a challenge for her. And I, I think um, as we started to learn and educate, you know, what the prognosis was going to be and then finding some medicines that help her manage her seizures, it's just been a massive education. But, you know, more than anything, she touches my heart in so many different ways. And I want to do anything that I can to help her. And her Everest, I can tell you, is way higher than my Everest that I'm going to be taking on here this spring. And what also came out of it on that particular night on, on the awareness front is uh, there's a guy who, who happened to be in the crowd that stood up and he happened to serve on the, happens to serve on the National Epilepsy Foundation Board. And so he was telling us about some new ways that they were able now to go in and really help people with epilepsy by doing certain things in the brain. And so that's given us kind of a new round of hope and optimism about her uh, prognosis going forward. And so you know, again, money is one thing, but awareness um, is another. And so now, you know, by by throwing that event, again, chain reaction, action creates reaction, the domino effect of me throwing this big event, 350 people showing up, of raising $23,000, of having this guy who I didn't even know um, stand up and say, hey, look at, you know, I have epilepsy. I'm on the, I'm on the National Epilepsy Board, by the way, he's down in Houston. And for him then to to, to then refer those people on to these other doctors has been amazing for her. Now, if you were to use one word to describe your emotion or feeling that night, what would it be? Ah, oh, man, it, it, it was incredible, you know, and that's not an emotion, but um, I mean, I was getting teary eyed and at the very end I had my daughter come up and speak because everybody was talking about resilience and how you overcome adversity. And that was kind of the core theme because, you know, whether you have epilepsy or not, everybody in the room has something going on. If they don't have something going on, they will. And that's just oh, the, yeah. that's just life, right? And so we all have our different bumps and they're disguised in different ways. And so it's just really about, you know, when we're all faced with challenges, what do we do? Do we give up? Do we keep pushing? And that was really the whole idea. And at the very end of this hour and 45 minute um, event, um, I had done a quick video on Amelia and it was just her being raw open. And then I had her come up and speak and she was freaked out about coming up and talking. And she took the, um, the mic and she stood up and she delivered and she delivered in a powerful way. And that really moved and touched the audience um, because it's her story. And it's just like, you know, it's been really hard and, you know, I was petrified to death to come up here and talk, but you know, you guys have helped me you know kind of face my fears and get up and 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 do this and they had the, the the thing that was really cool about all this is that at the very end there's about eight separate parties that came up to us afterwards and they go thank you so much for doing this because i have epilepsy or my daughter has epilepsy or my son has epilepsy and nobody ever talks about it and it's just like i would say dirty little secret but just it's unlike cancer or some of these other things that are more out there in the public eye it's, it's finally somebody standing up and giving epilepsy a voice to what this thing has done through so many different people's lives. I think it's when it's out there 
in the public domain, that we're talking about these kinds of things. We can empower anybody, whether they're working parents, whether they're suffering with epilepsy or other things that could potentially be, you know, limiting factors in their life, that we really give it a voice and we can help people to find their full potential and to push back on some of these challenging emotions and hardships that they have. You said earlier in our interview that your daughters are really proud of you. Do you think that your willingness to overcome adversity and to kind of face your fears and start summiting mountains and doing these different things have helped your daughters through their struggles? Yeah, I do. And I think the big key word there is, and, and I don't think I was always this way. And I think this is part of the football culture I was, I was brought up in. And that is, is just me being um, more vulnerable as it relates to sharing my feelings and sharing where I'm coming from and being open about, you know, not seeing anything negative or disparaging against my ex, but just like the reality is of like, this was a really tough patch in my life and, and it sucked and it wasn't fun, but here I am today, you know, like better than ever and still like going for it. And my daughter's tour in that time too, where there's a lot of uncertainty in their life, right? They're in college and emerging out of college and like, what are you going to do next? And how is your life going to go forward? And so I, I think I'm trying to, by example, not by words, but by example, give them kind of the roadmap. As I continue to say all the time, success leaves clues. And so if you can do things in a positive way where you, you know, you're impacting your community in the right ways and you're, you're, you're doing things to live a, a really healthy, positive life, positively has an amazing way of, of spreading more positivity when you're around those types of people. You know, and the world wants to reward people like that, I believe. And when you sit down and, you know, bad things happen to you and you're like, which way should I go? And things are negative and you turn into a negative Nelly. It's like, who wants to be around that? It's just, and, and on top of that, you know, action creates reaction. If you're not taking a, a, an action in a positive step, that it's going to be really hard for something amazing to come your way if you're not like opening yourself up to those types of things. But that's hard. How do how do you overcome that feeling? You 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 start to become the negative Nelly as you as you described it. How do you acknowledge that that it's happening? How do you overcome it and and push to be positive in in a state that a lot of people think, hey, I, I just can't do this. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna take a step back and this is my life. And they kind of not settle, but they find themselves in a place where they say, this is all I can be or this is all I can do. I think there's a lot of things and, and I'll never, ever, ever, you know, just accept things no better, no matter how bad things get for me, I will never accept that that's the status quo because we have the ability to change anything. And, and here are some of the things I do, I, you know, and again, I'm not saying what I do has to work for the world. I just know that what I have done has had amazing um, end results for me in terms of the way that things have come back to me a hundredfold. Um, you know, just in terms of the positivity, I think one of the big things for me has been writing my goals down, right? Like, where do I want to go? I think it's hard to visualize and have that, 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 that vision map, um, that vision board of where you want to go if you have no idea, you know, how to get there. And so I think that's one of the big things. Um, I think number two is surrounding yourself with, with um, people who, you know, are uplifting um, that are not going to drag you down. You know, you don't want people that are going to be like, you know, bad influences in your life and, and say negative things and you say something negative and they go, oh yeah, you're right. The world sucks. You know, you want people around like, Hey, and you know, have a zest for life. Every single day I listen to podcasts and, uh, and or audiobooks. And 
for me, I, I don't listen to a whole lot of things that have nothing to do with anything other than uplifting how people did something, how somebody overcame, you know, a particular ailment or something. I mean, it's, it's all about that. So I'm trying to feed my brain full of positive of, of thoughts. You know, people need to go talk to somebody, you know, go do that, do some kind of meditation. My meditation for me is exercise. Um, I've found that, you know, getting those endorphins out, I've, I've solved so many problems running up and down these mountains and being in nature where your cell phone isn't ringing off the hook and you have messages coming in left and right because it busies your mind. It doesn't allow you to get really get clear. And as I said before, uh, earlier in the, in the, in the interview, you know, where I really started to get clarity is when I got into, into nature and into the mountains down in Kilimanjaro and then off into Russia and then off down to, to Australia and then to um, Argentina. And I know not everybody can afford to go do those things, but you don't have to do those things. You can walk out the door and hug a tree. You know, there's lots of things how you can surround. I think having those goals, you know, going back to what are your goals of the day, whether daily, weekly, monthly, in a year, like, where do you want to be? It's amazing how many things that you can accomplish if you write them down and you get after them. And then you got to make sure you're taking the right steps, you know, towards those goals, because a goal just becomes a New Year's resolution if you don't start to execute what those things are. And most, most New Year's resolutions, people quit, you know, after the four months. They're like, ah, I don't want to go work out anymore because it's too hard. And it takes discipline. It takes daily discipline. I have this thing called feet on floor every single morning. I get up at a certain time early in the morning, I hit my feet on the floor, I go brush my teeth, I take a breath of air, and then I go to the gym. And that's what I do, and I do CrossFit every single flipping morning. And it's hard, I can tell you. I'm not always motivated to jump out of bed because you know it's dark and it's cold and, and everything else. But I, for me, I mean, these are the keys to success, which are small in nature, but they turn out to have big results when you put them all together. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I found just the other day, just to pick up on a couple of them. I, I do a lot of running and I do a lot of uh, cycling and I hadn't done it for a few days. And I found myself getting kind of a, a little bit, maybe angsty or ornery with the people around me. And I, and I couldn't necessarily pinpoint what it was. And I was like, what is it? And I realized what I was lacking in my life. And it was um, one of these goals that I had set or things that I wanted. And it was to be in nature, running on trails, getting out there. And so instantly that night got back out there, started doing it. And I felt my kind of my perception change and my focus, you know, recenter. And so totally a fan of that. The other one that really resonated with me is the idea of ensuring that your goals don't become just new year's resolutions. This last year tried to really focus on having a theme for the year versus a new year's resolution. And I will say that I accomplished more last year in regards to the things I wanted in regards to a physical sense and, you know, a learning and education sense family than ever before. And it was the simple steps. You just listed a ton of little simple things, but they add up over time. You know what I mean? It's just like compounding interest. It takes a little bit, but over time it becomes a big results. Yeah, no, I agree with all that. And, you know, it's glad to hear that you also love to get out, try to work out, you know, in a meditative way, whether you're on the bike or you're running those things, because your mind doesn't just stay idle, right? And again, to me, it's, it's, it's filling your mind so it's full of, of positive things. And you got to identify what things in your life, not everybody's athletically minded, and that's totally cool. They may like to knit or paint, but it's, it's trying to find the little pieces of joy in your life that are going to like really motivate you to get you to where you want to be 
And, you know, I think the other thing too is, is think big. And I think too many people think small, you know, on their goals. It's just like, um, I was talking to this guy the other day. I said, what are your goals? And he said, my goal is to get more sleep next year. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not sure if that's a goal or not, but just go to sleep earlier, you know, but I don't see that as being a real big stretch. Right. But what is something that would be just amazing to go do? And it may be something they call it a BHAG, very, a big, hairy, audacious goal. Right. And it may not actually happen, but if you have out there and it's in the back of your mind and you're trying to figure out a way to make that happen, then maybe it happens. I mean, Everest is a big, hairy, audacious goal. It's actually happening because I'm making it happen. But, but you know, that, that dream started eight years ago. And, you know, I didn't ever know that it actually get here at the front door, but that's where it started. It started with what would happen. I mean, this is before I even went out the door climbing any mountain. It started with having something that was way beyond anything I'd ever even thought about or accomplished. Taking one step up the mountain, you know, step after step, you know, metaphorically speaking, has taken me a long way. And, you know, next thing you know, you look up and you're kind of right at the front door. No, that's awesome. I was listening to a podcast and also it's an author, uh, Kathy Heller. She, uh, you know, has the podcast and book called Don't Keep Your Day Job. And she was talking about these giant, you know, audacious goals. And she said, unless you feel a little bit afraid, unless it makes you a little bit nervous, it's probably not the goal for you. You need to be kind of there on the edge of your seat wondering, oh, should I be doing this? And so I love that. It's something that resonated with me when I heard it the first time and when you've said it now. So Mark, let me ask you one final question. Thinking of our audience, individuals that are, you know, at it every single day, trying to do their best in a professional sense, but also bring the most to their kids. What would you leave with them kind of as we close out today? Well, I mean, look, I, I think in general, one of the things I've said to my kids and they roll their eyes when I say this, cause I've said it for so many years is, is this, it takes a little more to make a champion. And, you know, I think it's really easy to be average and it, it takes a lot of hard work to be great. And you always find the most accomplishment and sense of accomplishment, you know, when you pull off these things, and, and then you move on to the next one. And, you know, the, the, as I said before, this isn't a plug, but, you know, the name of my podcast is called Finding Your Summit. And, and I think really it should be called Finding Your Summits because, in, you know, when you're talking about parenting, and I've been through that, where you go through that phase of life and it can go, you know, 10 to 20 years, right, where it's, it's hardcore and kind of the further and the older they get, the less responsibility you, you have. And so then it gives you a little bit more opportunity to, you know, sink your teeth into something a little deeper. But I mean, there's all these little different things between making, you know, family vacations amazing, um, uh, turning off the TV and going out and interacting, you know, with your kids. I mean, there's, there's definitely a correlation with the more time spent, and this is really anything, the more time spent at doing and being around those people, to being around your kids, doing the thing that you love to do, the better you're going to be at it, and the better people are going to be around you for it, for the time amount of time that you actually put uh, in towards uh, developing and nurturing that relationship. And, and so, I don't know, I, I think that to me sums it up, it takes a little more to make a champion, because when you go the extra effort, just great things can follow. No, I love that. And I think it, it uh, perpetuates itself and you'll be able to make an impact on those around you. So Mark, thank you so much for your time today. This was a, an excellent uh, kind of journey and adventure together and good luck on your next summit as you head uh, to the Himalayas. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Yeah, you too. Take care now. Okay. Bye. Today's episode was all about what we do when life doesn't go our way. Mark is just weeks away from heading to the Himalayas. And I'd ask you to think about what are the goals and obstacles and achievements that you want to see in your life 
and are you pursuing them, even if there are challenges in front of you? We hope that you've liked today's experience and adventure. If you have, we encourage you to like the show, to subscribe to the show, join our mailing list, and join us again soon. Until next time, from the Working Parents Wilderness Podcast.